Hi, you're about to listen to an episode of Borough Talks, a podcast from Borough Market. A very, very warm welcome to you. We're going to be bringing you a series of conversations around food and food culture with some inspiring guests and leading voices from the food industry. I'm your host, Angela Clutton. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Borough Talks. And if you do, you can subscribe for more from us. Hello, everybody, and a very, very warm welcome to Borough Talks, which is Borough Markets podcast. I am Angela Clutton. I am your host. And uh, for the first time, actually, on the podcast, I'm here with three guests, which is slightly nervy, a little bit exciting. And uh, they are three traders from the market. Going to just get them to say hi. We have Nadia Jenkins. Hey, Nadia. Hello. Hi. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. Uh, we have Phil Juma. Hey, hey. <laughs> yeah. Part two. So, yes, he feels super chill because he's coming back on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, there was a lovely episode, or I thought it was a lovely episode, that we did a couple of months ago. Um, and when you've finished listening to this and you want to hear more from Phil, go back a few episodes, you'll be able to find him there. Um, and we have Steve Hook from Hook and Son. Hello. Hi, nice to see you. And you too. Thank you very much for coming. Um, thank you all very much for coming. And I suppose the first question really is why these three, why are we doing a uh, uh, a, a session with a group of traders particularly and it's because we have uh, the Borough Market Cookbook coming out um, I know thank you for that <laughs> thank you for that um, it mm. is the second Borough Market Cookbook the third Borough Market book it's called Borough Market The Knowledge um, and I wrote it but uh, which is a slightly bold thing to say because I did write it and I did the recipes in it and I was you know, kind of putting it together but really the traders at the market wrote it because Borough Market Knowledge, the book, is so much about the heart of the market, which is the traders. And it is about corralling all the wonderful knowledge which bounces off those railway arches and the cobble streets. And that's really what we tried to do in the book. Um, And I have to say, after quite a lot of blood, sweat and tears, I feel that we have done that in the book. Um, There are chapters on butchers, fishmongers, greengrocers, fruiterers, dairy, bakery, and then store cupboard in there as well. Steve's looking at me with raised eyebrows like, that's a lot. It is a lot. Fantastic. (laughs) We did a lot in this book. Um, And each section really tries to give a glimpse into what it's like to be a trader in each one of those disciplines, so, you know, whether you're a butcher or you're a fishmonger or all the rest of it, um, and celebrating the traders, giving an insight into your, their skills and the provenance of the produce. And then there's like 1890 recipes that I've done, which spring out of all this knowledge from the traders. Um, Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And we were really, really excited about it. And actually, I haven't done all the recipes, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, I say it was really important for the book to try and gather together the knowledge and really get it out there for the reader. There are skills guides, there are features, there are Q&A, there are recipes. So what we're going to do today is kind of give the listeners a little bit of a glimpse about what they would get if they opened the book mm-hmm. and what these kind of conversations are like, because a lot of them were done as conversations yeah. with you guys. Um, so... Nigel, I'm going to stop. Actually, before we get to that, let's do a quick whiz round about what you each do and then we can kind of get into the nitty gritty of it. Um, Nigel, I'm going to come to you last on this because I'm going to get into the detail with you. Phil, just tell us a little bit more about you, just a quick insight into what it is that you do. So um, Juma Kitchen is the the company and we celebrate Iraqi cuisine at Borough Market. We specialise in handcrafted kubba, which are dumplings, and um, we also have a, a charcoal menu doing grilled meat over hot coals, 
and we've recently launched a bakery doing fresh tannoy bread in a tannoy oven on site. That complements wow. the charcoal menu beautifully. Amazing, mm. amazing, amazing. Steve, give us a quick burst on Hook and Son. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm uh, Steve Hook, uh, a dairy farmer from uh, down in East Sussex. We're an organic grass farm. Uh, we specialise in raw and pasteurised dairy. Uh, we're increasing our range. Um, uh, and we like to think that we are the, the go-to for dairy. Um, we've been at Borough Market for 12 years and yeah. about to open a new shop and make raw ice cream on oh, site, which will wow. be England's only raw ice cream. That's exciting. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Looking forward to that. That's great. Okay, we'll come back to all that in detail in a minute. Naja, Caraway Bakery. Tell us... Yes. Give, Tell us what you do, what Caraway Bakery is. Uh, well, uh, Caraway Bakery is a bakery specialising in rye bread, particularly, as well as brioche products. And we also do some amazing, amazing uh, specialist cakes. Um, yeah, but rye bread is, has always been our specialty and uh, our passion. How long has um, the business been going? The business, as a business, has been going for over 17 years, actually. Oh, okay. um, and Caraway brand has been going for uh, more than 10 years. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, well, um, it's a family-run business and uh, we come from, um, well, family roots are across <laughs> quite a few countries actually spread out in Eastern Europe, but it's sort of mainly from the Baltics yeah. and this is where our baking tradition comes from. Yeah. And how long have you been at Borough Market? Uh, we've been over um, at Borough Market over eight years, I believe. Oh, okay, long time. Yeah. Um, what I'm interested to talk to you about is uh, yeah, the kind of, common perception i think of rye bread is that there's sort of one style yeah. of rye bread and it's yeah. very dense and maybe even you know quite sour yeah. and anyone who has had the joy of going to your stall going to caraway bakery immediately sees there are so many different kinds yeah. of rye breads and True. i'm really interested in what is it that influences the flavor and the texture of the rye Mm. Well, uh, you're very right in saying that sort of rye bread has always had a sort of uh, this image of being, you know, a sour, stodgy and sort of more of a firm uh, product rather than um, wheat bread and maybe something you would choose for health reasons rather mm. than flavour profile. But uh, we we believe that we've broken that sort of conception and with our rye bread. Um, and I think this is sort of, this is because the rye baking tradition is so um, old and so varied in our countries and we use lots of different varieties of rye flour, lots, lots of different and even uh, rye crops themselves. Um, and we also mix it with spelt and wheat. We, we produce a whole range of um, rye breads, sort of ranging from very, very healthy, 100% sourdoughs, yeast-free, sugar-free and wheat-free products, um, going to, you know, um, mixtures of rye and wheat and spelt. And what makes it uh, flavoursome or, you know, what makes uh, each of our products unique is actually... All of our breads, they have their own different starters, mother doughs or levains. Um, and we use a variety of different baking techniques. And sort of some of them are quite unique, actually, uniquely attributed to Baltics, which is a scalded uh, method, for example, which is a pre-fermentation method where we scald um, our flour with um, boiling water. And then we leave it to How sort of pre-ferment. 
How, you say you scold it. What, yeah. what do you actually do? Well, you, you just, I mean, it's very simple. You just pour boiling really? water Really? Literally, that's it? <laughs> yes. I think it can it be as simple as that. That's actually what you mean. It is, okay, yes. But, I mean, it, you know, it, everything simple is, is actually quite genius, isn't it? Completely right. <laughs> it often is. And um, um, it's basically what uh, our ancestors have found was that, you know, when, when they sort of would do that to, to the flower, uh, and they would leave it to sort of cool down to um, 45 degrees um, and use it as a pre-fermentation stage. And then they would leave, um, add their levain or mother dough. There's different, different types of um, uh, sort of starters that we use. Um, the end product actually um, ends up uh, having a longer shelf life naturally because what the scalding method does, it keeps the moisture in, it locks the moisture in in, in the project. And, it, you know, it stays fresher for longer. As well as um, the this method um, actually contributes to the end product flavor being more mellow in, and, you know, naturally sweeter. Because what it, uh, you know, what, what the uh, boiling water does is sort of breaks up um, uh, the flour and the gluten in the flour. Um, and also, uh, whilst the, the, uh, the this mixture is sort of... Um, pre-fermenting um, the natural f- f- sugars that are present in the in the grain and flour they develop so the end product is actually not very sour and yeah. sort of quite mellow in flavor your scalded loaf is my absolute favorite oh yeah it's, yes, it's, it's one of those things that i can't not I can't leave the market without having picked up oh, a loaf. So lovely to hear, and it's indeed actually our best-selling product is of all really? times. Yeah, is it? Is it really? That's yeah, great. yeah. And when we launched the, I mean, we launched the brand in two thousand and ten, um, and um, we that that first year we actually sent, um, um, I think, believe I believe twelve of our products actually to Great Taste Awards, and one of them was the this called Rye Bread. Yeah. Um, and this product has picked up three great taste stars immediately mm-hmm. and was chosen one of the top 10, top 50, sorry, uh, products in Great Britain of that year, uh, which was an amazing result. And we did not expect it at all, especially for rye bread, because yeah. it's not a staple product in the UK. Yeah. But nevertheless, since then, um, uh, Cumulatively, I think in the last 10 or 11 years now, uh, our rye bread has won the most great taste awards in the UK than any other bakery's bread. Cool. Get you. Congratulations. Thank you. Very exciting. <laughs> yeah, we're very proud for rye bread, actually. Yeah, well, I, I bet you are. Yeah. You talk in the book about um, how the characteristics of different rye flowers are determined by how much of the kernel yeah. is used. Talk to yeah. you, explain a bit about that. Well, um, uh, likewise, you know, with, with any sort of grain, uh, the, uh, you know, the amount of sort of, you know, of milling, let's say, and how much you um, dispose of determines the uh, the composure and also the, um, uh, how much fibre is left in the, in the flour. So um, the uh, the more of, of the grain and the sort of outer um, uh, um, elements of it that you leave, the healthier, you know, the flour and the bread becomes and the more fibre you end up with as well. So the, the healthier rye bread would be the bread with, you know where all of the grain is sort of okay. milled um, without dis- disposing of anything so that would be the you know the highest fiber content it would give you as well which is actually um, whole grain rye I would give you five times the amount of fiber than a refined wheat and is that a stronger flavor as well it would be the stronger flavor yes and it all it would always be um, a heavier product yeah. as well because the more of you know um, sort of the more of the grain that you leave and you know the heavier it becomes and also rye bread and rye grain uh, naturally or rye flour 
um, doesn't have the same gluten as in wheat. It's mm -hmm. not gluten-free, but it's a different type of gluten. There's less of it, and it's a weaker form of gluten. So rye bread would never rise as high or as much as wheat bread would, especially bread made with whole grain rye. Um, but it would give you much better nutrition. And also it, it's, it's actually a safe and natural alternative for people with mild gluten intolerances. Right. Because people with uh, sort of those, you know, food allergies or mild gluten, gluten intolerances, they're actually reacting to a particular protein in wheat. Uh, and rye doesn't have that, right. as well as spelt. So yeah. those people can safely have 100% rye or 100% spelt or the mixture of. Yeah. And you do you do um, sweet bakes as well, don't you? That use the yes. rye. So it's so easy, I think, to think about rye just being just being loaves, just being exactly. bread. But obviously, yeah. obviously not from yeah. what you guys do. Yeah, I, I think we've sort of taken this idea of you know um, creating a range of products uh, that would be good and safe for those people with mild gluten intolerances. We wanted to take it to the next level because those people often um, have to revert to gluten-free products, mm. which are not necessarily they're, if they're not celiacs, they don't really have to have gluten-free products that they can easily have something with spelt and rye you know mixture of or one or the other so um, yeah so we've created and uh, and we have quite a lot well quite a lot of products uh, up our sleeve as well in development but we've created already um, some sweet products uh, based on only rye and uh, spelt flour uh, and they're actually lovely and you know yeah. there's nothing I mean, you would never say that there is no wheat flour yeah. in them um, yeah, so there's uh, sort of we, we have an amazing carrot and rye um, and caraway actually loaf, um, uh, and we we sort of do tend to add caraway quite often because and hence our name yes, in a way as yes. well. Uh, but actually, it gives a really really nice sort of uh, flavour and yeah. a kick at the end and sort of rounds up the flavour uh, really nicely. Then there's also rye and spelt banana loaf. Um, there are some rye sweet biscuits. Um, yeah, so the rye brownies actually come up as well. Mm. Nadia, I think um, you have given us a perfect insight into you know, what Borough Market the Knowledge is doing because you, I mean, this, is, this really is stating the obvious, but obviously you know so much about Ryan and it's sort of getting that out there. Um, that's all you know, madly interested and madly interesting. And also you have... Um, sort of settles like domestic argument that I was having at home because we love your scalded loaf. Mm -hmm. uh, my husband was asking me why it was called scalded and I made something up because um. I didn't know and I didn't want to admit <laughs> that I didn't know and then he checked it and then I had to like style it out and pretend that oh, I was dear. right but obviously <laughs> I'd made it up and so now when James listens he'll go well there you go that's what that's why it's called scalded I'm so actually chuffed that you're having this conversation <laughs> around our products probably would have better amazing. if I hadn't just made it up but there you go um Nadia thank you so much thank that you very was much. absolutely fascinating um Stephen I'm going to come to you yeah, yeah. next um Stephen Hook, um, Hook and Son. Are you the Hook or the Son? I'm about the tenth son, I think. Oh, yeah. In terms of generation, not not that Dad's got ten sons. Okay. <laughs> but we've been farming in East Sussex for two hundred and fifty years. Wow. Okay. And is there is there a son as well? Yeah, I've got four sons. Okay. Are they in the business? Uh, one's uh, he studied agriculture and he's in Yorkshire. Another one's an en engineer. The th second one is. Um, on the farm on the processing side and he's becoming very proactive in our social media okay. stuff which is great so you'll probably be dealing with him at Borough Bent hopefully right. yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last one all those is, things are more and more important aren't they for dairy farms uh, they are we've thrive. got a, a strong story to tell people yeah. want to understand and, and know about dairy and I personally believe that 
the information about dairy that's been given to the public for the last 40 or 50 years isn't really what dairy produce is yeah. or should be. We're going to get into a little bit of that. Um, let's keep it really simple to start with. Yeah. For anyone who's sitting going raw milk, what the blazes is that? Raw milk is milk straight from the cow. It hasn't been heat-treated or pasteurised. It hasn't been homogenised. It's only been filtered and chilled, and that's it. It's a live product, um, but it is a very different product to processed or pasteurised milk. Mm. Sometimes when I give talks, I will say that raw milk and pasteurised milk have only got two things in common, which is they're both fairly white in colour and they're both called milk and that's about You feel it. that strongly about it? I do, yes. And we sell pasteurised milk as well um, but uh, I firmly believe that raw milk has got so many more properties than uh, uh, pasteurised milk but it's very difficult to get that work done uh, because it's not really in anybody's interest to do the science behind raw milk. Mm. Let's um, think about why raw milk is just so delicious because it just because it just is. Yeah, it, it tastes amazing. Yeah. It retake well, it tastes of something for starters compared yeah. to conventional milk, normal milk, pasteurized milk. Um, why why is that? Why does raw milk have so much going on? Is it when you? I, uh, I think there's a few things. Uh, firstly, um, milk. The definition of milk in that's sold in the supermarkets to be whole milk. Uh, has to have a minimum fat content of 3.5%, um, whereas actually when milk comes out of a cow, it's around 4, 4.2%, mm-hmm. and the Jer- Jersey and Guernsey breeds are 5%. So the dairy is taking off at least half a percent of cream anyway and still calling the milk whole milk, which they can legally do. Um, so that's a bit of taste that's coming out mm-hmm. at that stage. Uh, I also feel that, uh, well, my cows are grass-fed, and don't have any wheat or soya, and I think that also affects the quality of milk. Mm. My cows, whilst they produce half the yield of a conventional herd per cow per year, my cows have got, I believe, greater quality of life because they can choose what they eat and they will eat out of of hedges and field margins and so on. And whilst those types of flora aren't great in terms of energy and protein and providing milk, that's what... uh, I believe, gives that milk its flavour. Yeah, we taste of the pasture it comes from. It, it does, and where we farm on the, on the Pemsey levels, it's a very, very ancient pasture. It's around 800 years old. Right. Um, uh, the ditch system was hand-dug by around 30,000 labourers in, in medieval times, and those are the fields that we farm, and yeah. they haven't changed in that time. Um, so th- that's where I believe our, our milk is, is special. And whilst I take a hit uh, on yield, because... Our farm is a marginal farm. It's not a farm that you can really produce food greatly from. Um, I believe that that's the story behind our farm. That's where the value is. And and this type of farm, which is marginal, is really, really key to keep going forward because I feel it's very important that we produce food off marginal land, not just off the top grade one land where big corporate agri industry can can produce food or indeed anybody could because it's called boys land and anybody could farm it. Why is it important Steve? Uh, I, I believe uh, it's small family farms are, are really important A because they produce food off marginal land but also big farms need small farms whereas I don't think small farms need big farms and I say that because small family farms on marginal land are producing food and they've got a higher cost base if we disappear then the average cost of production comes down, which then puts pressure on, on the bigger 
farms as well. Um, the food industry, 99% of it, or, or so it seems to me, is all about uh, cheapening food. Mm. And I can never compete with somebody on price, but I will compete with any dairy farm or dairy producer on quality of product, and that's where I've positioned our business. Yeah. 100%. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a bit of a journey, um, and we've had to fight a bit on the way. But you can't beat the smile that somebody has or an, or an email that somebody sends yeah. once they've had our produce. And whilst I need the, 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 the sale to um, provide the income to feed my cows, on a human level, to have that pat on the back for what you yeah. do, you you can't buy and it makes it worthwhile. Yeah. Um, can we do a quick history lesson Yeah. for any listeners who may you know, be wondering, well, isn't all milk from a certain farm and because you know your milk is obviously what milk always yeah. used to be how did yeah. we get from that point to you, you being you know, a, an unusual you know, in how we think about how we get yeah. our milk <clears throat> well very simply obviously milk wasn't pasteurized until louis pasteur came along yep um some people might have boiled milk but milk and honey are the only two foods that are designed as foods all other foods that we eat have got another role so eggs of fertility um Plant uh, studies of plants, uh, meat is muscle that moves an animal around. But milk and honey are the only two foods that have uh, no other role. They're purely foods, and they're the only two foods that actually preserve themselves and never break down and and rot. And the biology within milk is quite incredible, uh, which gives it fantastic properties. It's, that's why, as mammals, it's the first and only food that we have, and it has to do three things. It has to sustain us enable us to grow our muscles and bones and so on, and give us defence against infection. Mm -hmm. Raw milk can do all that, mm -hmm. but when it's pasteurised, it can't do any of that. Mm -hmm. Now, pasteurisation came in uh, as a temporary measure against TB, and milk is... Pasteurisation is that protection against TB. It's also uh, came in for brucellosis, which is a disease in cattle that causes abortion in people. And... Environmental pathogens, E. coli, listeria, and so on, which are on farms. Mm. Um, now, in the UK, to be a licensed raw milk seller, you have to be officially TB-free. Uh, so that's not an issue. Uh, and TB is a whole other subject. Uh, brucellosis was eradicated in, in the UK in the 1980s, so that's no longer an issue, which just leaves the environmental pathogens. And if mm. you're absolutely spot on in your milking process and teat preparation, uh, uh, your cleanliness and bottling and and so on, then there really should be no mm. issue with with hygiene whatsoever. And if you if that's the case, then the milk that people buy from us is quite a different uh, food to the pasteurised milk in the shops. Mm. And and the so, shelf and the shelf life. Uh, the, the shelf life is an interesting one. Um, I would say that raw milk never goes bad, whereas pasteurised milk will raw milk is full of lactobacillus and that eats up the lactose in raw milk and converts the lactose to lactic acid and the build up of lactic acid after a week 10 days will turn the milk sour but that sourness that build up of lactic acid pickles and preserves the milk in acid and kills any pathogens in it so if you look at pathogen curves for raw milk they will peak at about five to seven days and disappear Whereas all other modelling on food for pathogens, there's an exponential growth because you've got a bacteria landing in a food with no competition and it can exponentially grow on a food source and turn it into something quite nasty. Um, 
but that can't happen with, with raw milk. And to give you an example, I put 200 litres of raw milk in the stainless... You say this in the book. This is such a good story. Go on, carry right. on. Carry on. No, so no, I, I want you to tell it. No, no, you, you tell the story. I, carry well, on, tell the story. Once I get in a roll. Um, <laughs> anyway, I put 200 litres of raw milk into a stainless steel tank, single-skinned stainless steel tank, not insulated, not jacketed. Left it by the cow yard in April, all summer for six months. Cows walking past it in the sun twice a day. In October, I lifted the lid up. The contents look great colour, look like milk colour. Sent a sample off to the lab because we test our milk every week for E. coli, listeria, salmonella, campylobacter and so on. Sent it off to the lab. It came back from the lab totally clean. No pathogens. It's only, amazing, isn't it? Only mm-hmm. a real food and you could eat it. You can't do that uh, with any other food. Yeah. So, so, so interesting. Um Steve, am I also right in thinking that uh, you know, the grass feeding, as we explained, is great, great for the cows, great for the milk, but also pretty good for the climate? It is, especially when the grass is permanent pasture, and especially if it's on marshland, because that is the best carbon storage that you can get after rainforest. So permanent pasture, which nobody's really discussing much, is a fantastic carbon sponge um, for to, to help the carbon situation. Um, and when you look at the UK, the UK's got one of the best climates in the world for growing grass. Mm. And I think it was Brian Clough that said that grass should either be used to play football on or, or cows to graze and produce <laughs> milk. So if he said it and, and he called himself God, um, <laughs> that, that's fair enough. Uh, so we've got this fantastic resource in the UK called this, grass. This year was a bit tricky though, no? Uh, this year <laughs> with the drought, well, all food production has been yeah. Yeah, um, with the drought, but we grow clover as well, which is more drought resistant than grass. Mm. Unfortunately, because we're on the Pemsey levels, which is two metres below sea level, um, the fields were still green and had a bit of grass. So I've actually got plenty of food going into the winter. Great. Um, uh, so whilst whilst the marshland can be a pain, at some in times of drought is 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 good. But coming back to the carbon, mm. very important uh, part of our farming going forward, I think, will be producing beef, lamb, dairy off from grass. The what's happened forty years ago, people in Europe looked across to Britain and thought that's where the best beef, best lamb, best dairy came from because of the grass that we had, but. The yield levels that cows are now being produced, asked to produce of milk and the speed in which beef has to be supplied to go into a supermarket can't be done off grass. Grass hasn't got enough energy and protein to do that. So we import soy and, mm-hmm. and, and corn to do that. Um, and that's gone against the sustainability and the, and, and the, and, and the uh, carbon footprint that, uh, that we should have in this country. Um, if we can get back to producing those foods from grass within our own country and not importing of, um, all this produce from uh, South America and so on. Uh, that has, I believe, has got to be the way forward and it will lead to better quality food too. Yeah. It's one of the things that um, I think really does come across in the book that in the borough market, the knowledge is very much about the traders and the produce at, at a sort of a, 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 the, at the stall level of what people can buy, mm. but then sort of put the lens kind of pulling back from that into food production more broadly and thinking about you know, the wider context of it and things like climate. And I think it is really important to try and kind of keep getting those messages out there for people and understand where their food, yeah. just where their food comes from, where our food comes I from. I agree. And, and what it is we're mm. eating. And I think this is an opportunity that Boa's got. We do farmer's markets in London and on a 
a picture you put up a three by three meter gazebo, you can't really tell your story. You can't really yeah. educate people. But at Borough Market, especially with the permanent, more permanent shops and so on, I, and because of the Borough Market profile, I think that's an opportunity yeah. really worth going for. Yeah, yeah, and, I think and, that's right. Um, and a part of that is is, is about you know, free provenance of production. Thank you, Steve, for all that. That was absolutely amazing. I think I'm definitely going to have you and Nadia back on the podcast to spend an hour talking to you yeah, about I'm, each of those I'm, things. I'm cancelling my meeting after this. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, I know, we know. We're just, There's too much knowledge just, coming out. Desperate to carry on, but totally having you back to delve incredible. into it in detail. Phil, we've already done an in-detail. Um but I want to you know, lead on from what we were just saying about kind of the lens pulling out, and it is about food provenance of production, but also thinking about foods and how they connect with different cultures mm-hmm. and heritage you know, around the world, and that's kind of where you come in with it, with what you're doing. Yeah, um, Iraqi cuisine in Borough Market, like I still can't believe it sometimes. And um, it's my dad, who's, who's, who's the Iraqi roots in my family, and um, it's, it's just like the best platform for us to showcase our identity our cuisine um to just people from all over the world like Barra is bringing in tourism from all walks of life and it's like how long have you been at the market now Phil? we came in on in november 2019 so bad timing really three months of trading and then the pandemic but we're out on the other side this has been a great summer for us all i believe and um yeah, like now it's just, you know... Do you feel like you feel like it is kind of coming out the other side? I don't feel... I feel like I've gone through the mud and I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm burnt out and I'm mentally... Yeah. Seriously, I, yeah, I, feel, I, I, I feel quite disillusioned, like, by the whole experience. But actually being in a room with you two, you three, and, and just bringing back that passion about integrity and why we do the things that we do, it just it, it's like, yes, you need that sometimes. And weirdly, like we're in a market filled with passionate producers, but do we hang out? We don't. Like, do we speak? Because we're, we're so busy. We're so in it all the time. Well, you've all got to come to the launch party for the book. 100%. Because then you can, all the traders kind of like, yeah, we really yeah. hope that loads of you come to the party because that's a nice, I think you're exactly right, you're right Phil, on what you're saying. And when we were just meeting before, I'd assumed you all knew each other mm. because you all work at the market, yeah. you all have yeah. stores at the market, but you didn't, you don't. And yeah. I think it, that's a really interesting point, Phil, about that connection and that community. There are so many aspects of community at the market, and they all function in different ways. But one of them is this community of traders, and it's yeah. as you say, you get a lot f- you know, from that spiritually. One hundred percent. It's an unwritten rule, I think, that we all look out for each other, but mm. we're not. We don't know each other, mm. um, and I think you know things like this are just going to encourage more. I'm, going to get both of these guys numbers yeah. after because yeah there's more it's just just the knowledge that's been shared and just again like from a customer's perspective they need to know this and it's, it's so the, inspirational right like mm. hearing everybody's stories and you know mm. it's sort of what people go through in order to mm. to you know achieve or not even achieve but i mean sort of to you know to put this project out there for the for the consumers and you know and yeah it's i think if people knew 
half of those stories at least I would appreciate mm. uh, you know what, what they um, can source from Bora Market so yeah. much more yeah, that's right. and I mean every time I come there it's just like it's an I mean it's an amazing atmosphere as well as you just get so inspired by you know seeing all of those foods and how they're cooked and you know and that vibrance and everything and it's just like Gosh, I wish I lived there, you know, around the corner. <laughs> I'd be probably the best cook. <laughs> I'd learn, you know, all of the world cuisines and everything. It's just, yeah, it's an, a huge inspirational place. But it's place. that energy mm. that yeah. we've really tried to mm. kind of, you know, get bouncing off the pages in the book. And while well, you'll see for yourselves when it, it comes out, it comes out at the end of October. Um, and you'll be able to see, you know, to what degree you know, we feel that we have you know, managed to do that. And that's thanks to managing to get in as many voices from the traders as possible in different ways. Um, you know, I think, but, uh, Steve and Nigel, I think you both did Q&As. We've got features with quite a few people as well. And, the, some, and sometimes a contribution can, someone can be um, a tip. Like, so we have um, you know, Dom from Borough Cheese Company, and he is, is giving a tip about how to store cheese. Mm-hmm. And that's great. It's short and sweet. Mm. It's, you know, it's a paragraph, really. Mm-hmm. But it's something which, you know, is really important for people mm-hmm. You know, to know and, and it, so people's voices come in different ways and Phil you're one of um, the contributors who gave us a recipe yes very generously so so I did lots of recipes but not all of them because again we, we wanted to get the voices and the heart and the spirit of the traders and so we reached out to I think only four of the Borough Market Kitchen traders to contribute so it's, it's a very privileged. select bunch a very select bunch yeah, yeah. Um, to contribute recipes so do you even remember what your recipe of was? Of course. Do you? Because okay. no, I know you've got a lot going I, on. I was waiting for you to maybe um, preempt it. But no, it's basically um, cheese borek. So three cheese borek. Th- yeah, three cheese borek. So three different type of cheeses in a borek. So it's just like a phyllo pastry. And the reason why I've done this recipe is because it was just a huge hit at the alfresco that we did last summer when we did the outdoor restaurant just kind of survive the pandemic and do everything we could to kind of just just you know keep everyone in employment while also trying to survive and financially and it was just such a simple you know parcel of crunchy salty sweet deliciousness They've got but honey it, on top, yes, nigella seeds. That's mm. it. Sounds lovely. I know Steve's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like a real like festive canapé as well. Like, you know, by the time the cookbook comes about, we'll be coming up to mm. Christmas, um, mm. if I'm allowed to say that. And uh, no one wants <laughs> to think word, about that yeah. yet. And then, um, yeah, and it's just like, it's got all the textures. It's simple. And yeah, we drizzle it with honey at the end, a little bit of nigella seeds for crunch. And we just infuse the, the three cheeses with a little bit of cinnamon. So it's just it's just oh, like it's really like they're amazing. A, a lovely, lovely mm. like morsel. We cooked them for the shoot. So they're one of the recipes that were photographed to go into the book. Right. And so they were cooked on the shoot days. Um, it's a great photo. Have you seen the photo? Um yes. Really, Claire has emailed really it. Yeah, nice it's, it's lovely. Um and so yeah, we did the photo and you always know it's a good one when like everyone appears <laughs> <laughs> waiting for the photographer to finish oh, what she's doing. And as soon as Kim, so Kim Lightbody did our photography and she just completely smashed it. Her photos of the stalls and the traders and the market yeah. generally and then of the food. I think it's absolutely stunning photography. But she said so she finally, you know, got the shot. And they were eat. They were eaten in <laughs> seconds, Bill, and completely adored. They are delicious and quite quite straightforward to make yeah they are it's simple recipe I think you know we specialise in something quite different at 
at the stall at Borough and that is complex. It's quite specialised. So I wanted to give a recipe that reflects us but also is can be done at home by everyone. And um, yeah, they're super fun. And kiddie friendly, like rolling like little board eggs, like you know, the kids can yeah. be on the be on the, the dinner table and helping helping their parents. So it's uh, it's a recipe for all I feel. Phil, when you were last on the podcast, you mentioned that you were contemplating a trip to Iraq. Was did that did that happen and how did it go I went, it did? I went I went in January. Um it was my it was on my birthday that I just was just like there's never gonna be the right time. I'm too busy, I've got this going on, my dad doesn't want me to go to Iraq and I was like, bugger it, I'm gonna book. And um and yeah, I just booked my flight there and then on my birthday and it was just the most incredible, incredible trip. I shared I shared the stories on on my Instagram page at Juma Kitchen, little plug. Do it, yeah. And um the response was just beyond my wildest dreams of how people responded. Now, first of all, the non Iraqi community Pe- who were people there? No, just people my no okay. so so there was the non Iraqi community who are like the like the Londoners and just people who Got follow it. me, who know me, yourself, you know, people just who who only really have one kind of viewpoint of Iraq and 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 that's been tarnished for you know for 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 many years through media and everything that's happened there and so to go there there was like a huge response there but 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 more importantly it was the Iraqi diaspora who are now scattered all over the world Australia New Zealand Canada U- US of A Europe like everyone was like messaging me saying like we are like locked in waiting for your next day story and it was kind of just so moving hearing people's memories because they haven't been back for 40 years I was getting messages like oh I grew up on that street or I went to school down that road and so they were like they were with me on this trip and yeah and 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 because it's you know a, a, a place that you know people are still there's there's such a such a um there's such a lot of baggage around going we talked about that in quite a lot of detail before and i yeah. think it's good to touch on it again and anyone who's sort of curiously been piqued by phil's conversation about that do go back to the podcast it must be i don't know six episodes ago or so have a look back because that's a really interesting conversation that we had mm-hmm. i think about about all that yeah and 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 going was just it was just it was just the the most unbelievable liberating thing for me like here I am representing Iraqi cuisine on a, on a global stage you know and I just hadn't you know I went to Iraq when I was one years old mm. so there's no memory there but now that I've been and, and seen it smelt it tasted it literally and and it, and it's just like I'm ready to go again I can't wait to go again right. has it Obviously, energized you for your work here it did a hundred percent, and then we had a <laughs> and then we had a huge staffing issue, and I just you know I, I went I went I went backwards again. But um, no, like as soon as I came back, I was recipe testing, brought out the bakery, and um, yeah, we got we got some brunch mm. things coming up. I want to do dolma Sundays where we do just the the, the one pot wonder dolma dish every Sunday. Um, but just, just like the, the the team and finding the right people right now is so difficult. And you know, Juma's way bigger than just Borough Market. We're doing catering, we're doing events, private chef, and a lot of a lot of other irons in the fire. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 um it's exciting, and um it's definitely 
it's it's given me a little bit more. I feel more at peace now as well, in in just what I'm doing. There was, I think, there was a big insecurity there and a bit of imposter syndrome of of like, yeah, I needed to go. I just needed to go. And it, but on one hand, I had my dad just be like, if you go, I'm not going to speak to you ever again. And he didn't quite live up to that. But he didn't speak to me for the whole time I was there. He was so against me going. So that's the type no, of like, trauma why, and 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 why history. Why against you going, Phil? It just just like his own trauma, his own oh, history okay. with oh, a country that you know is 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 really is is really like still present for him. But it's you know we're talking like forty, fifty years on. No, forty, mm-hmm. yeah, forty, fifty years on since he was last there. So a lot has changed. Mm-hmm. But again, I haven't gone through experience what him and all the elders have gone through, and and the stories aren't aren't pleasant. So did, there was did, a level of sensitivity there. Did it inspire you quite? It sounded like it really inspired oh, you. Oh, definitely, definitely. Kind New, yeah, yeah. In really. a way that you didn't anticipate. No, no. And 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 for 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 the culinary side, hugely, mm. but also for like people booked their flights to Baghdad on the back of me going. Wow. So they were like messaging me like we haven't been for like twenty years. I'm going now after seeing that and and. So that that in itself, like, how powerful mm-hmm. was that? Mm-hmm. Like to think, like people are people are going to like reconnect and go back and 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 that's quite incredible. incredible. That's all all happened because of food. Yeah, really. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's affecting people's culture, uh, thoughts on their country. Hundred percent, their history, their identity, which is just you know, again, you say like for anyone in the diaspora, it's like I'm I'm not Iraqi, but I'm not. English or I'm not you know am, am I where do I belong you know it's that question and I was you know for me as I've gone more into this journey of Iraqi cuisine and getting more in touch with my roots and 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 and, and that side of my family I can see why it's such mm. a, a thing for people like where do I fit in where do I belong mm. I think you three have just shown perfectly that Borough Market is so much more than just in inverted commas food and the yeah, the level of responsibility, I suppose, that you each carry for what you do and the the, the heritage that you're speaking to in, in the way that you do mm. it and the and the value of it mm. is, is incredibly important. And the integrity of Absolutely. everyone's yeah. you know, of everyone in this room, like the integrity speaks so loudly from 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 both of you. So like that's that's I think passion as well. Yeah. Passion that we have for our food, you know, your your passion is incredible, um, both of you. Uh, and to have, I can't think of anywhere else really where you've got such knowledge, such passion, all about food, and I say such incredible uh, 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 provenance, um, mm. all in one place. Mm. Um, to find it all in one place is quite something special. Yeah. It feels very special to have got you three together. I honestly thought this was going to be a slightly kind of light-hearted, sort of, you know, quick burst into each yeah. of what you do. And it feels so much deeper than that, actually, mm. having you together in, frankly, this very, very tiny studio. <laughs> 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 and this sort of, this lovely energy between you. And I think, it, and it is very representative of what the market does. And it's certainly very representative of what we tried to do with the book. But it's genuinely special kind of feeling that mm. from you mm. all. Um, I think to wind us up, let's just think, 
I say we, we try and give you know, people when they pick up this book uh, a bit of a feeling about what it's like to be a trader at Borough Market. So let's just you know have a bit of a what is it like to be a trader at Borough Market, and that can be you know just it's freezing in January or you know anything you like no day is the same no day is the same we're trading seven days a week no day is the same that's That's one one thing I'd say Nadia what's yours uh, well, I actually, I, I did trade, uh, I don't trade anymore, but I did trade at various markets at the beginning of the, you know, of the business. And I know very well the, the our team and some of them actually. But the Canary Baker distant. obviously is yeah, still the yes. one in case someone gets confused. Yes, 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 of course. Yeah. But we have like family members who sure. trade there and everything. And gosh, I mean, it is tough. You know, it is it is a tough environment. And, you know, the amount of uh, sort of yeah, the, the weather, obviously, <laughs> is the, the biggest, uh, you know challenge and then yeah, you know it's it's sort of it's a commitment it is a huge commitment on the part of those people who mm-hmm. uh, spend their days there but at the same time it's such a huge buzz because oh. you know when you um, when you see those faces of those you know um, your regular customers who come and you know they oh my god I love this product so much you know just sort of I can't <laughs> you know it's just the energy you get from them, it's amazing as yeah. well. And it's so fulfilling. And I think it's sort of this is what is driving people and, you know, and keeping them there and, um, you know, helping them to sustain the weather and <laughs> yeah. and all that comes with it as well. Making it worthwhile. Yeah. Steve, what's yours? Uh <laughs> It's, it's been quite a journey at Borough Market. We've had different um, uh, pop-ups at different locations around Borough Market as well because it's been done and so on. Um, but for us, the fantastic thing, well, there's a few fantastic things, but if I told somebody that we're at um, uh, Chiswick Farmer's Market or Primrose Hill or, or whatever, it's... Um, it doesn't mean that much to somebody, but if I told somebody that we were at Bur- mm. Borough Market, then they think, wow, um, they've got such a different respect for our produce. So that brand is mm. is incredibly powerful, and, and 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 it's wonderful for us as a business to be there. Um, it is a tough environment, as you said, Nadia. It's, you do have days when it, it's cold and there's not a lot of footfall, and, and it's changed as well in the time that we've been there. When we started, it was, it was a very strong uh, produce shoppers market you'd see people walking around with bags whereas now you'll see people walking around saying wow isn't this amazing and taking a photo and holding a cup of coffee in their hand so it's a it is a tougher environment and partly a victim of its own success because mm. it was the original farmers market or producers market mm. and now you've got about 70 farmers markets in london mm. um it's a tourist attraction it's a tourist well, attraction yeah. yeah it's a destination market yeah as uh, well as being a place yeah. for people to kind of go and shop because i do feel yeah. Well, you can, you can tell me I'm wrong, but I hope I'm not. I feel, maybe even more so post-pandemic, mm. that by staying open right the way through lockdowns, yeah. it really solidified Borough Market again as being a place for people to go yeah. and shop. Yeah. And I do feel that is uh, that rediscovery almost of an aspect yeah, of the purpose. That's right. In, in some ways, the pandemic has been good for food. Um, people couldn't eat out. They, uh, before the pandemic, if they wanted great food, they'd probably go and eat out, where suddenly they couldn't eat out. Suddenly they weren't commuting to work, working from home. Uh, the only thing they could go out and do was exercise or go to a, a, a produce market, borough market, and buy produce and cook mm. great meals at home. And I think a lot of people rediscovered mm. great food or how to enjoy food or um, 
how to respect food again. Um, and uh, and in some ways, that's something that the, the baton that Borough Market has now got and, 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 and mm. needs to carry forward. And and I think whilst it's been a struggle, as you say, with uh, uh, people going to Borough Market as a destination market in, more so in the last few years, I do think that going forward, the opportunity that Borough Market has got in terms of the book, mm. the knowledge, what we've got as traders mm. there's nowhere else in london that's mm. got that and it is how we get that mm. out there Completely. so that people come to borough market because they know that's the only place in london where you can actually experience yeah. all that and buy into that yeah I feel this conversation could just run and run. I'm going to have to sadly end it. And the conversation does carry on in the book with all the different traders um, contributing. So Borough Market, the knowledge, um, is out at the end of October. Um, it's on sale already, if you listen to this, before October in all all the usual places. Um, you just have to look for Borough Market, the knowledge, or my name, Angela Clutton. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you guys today. Um, Nigel and Steve, because you've not been on the podcast individually, definitely going to have you back if you thank can bear you. it. <laughs> We'd love it's to. Lovely to have you on. Um, Stephen Hook, Hook and Son, thank you so much. Nadia Jenkins, Caraway Bakery, thank you. Lovely to have you with us. Phil Juma, Juma Kitchen, always a joy. Thank you. And I just want to request that the uh, cookbook launch, we have some raw milk shots. <laughs> <laughs> That's such yeah. a good idea. The recipe, I'm up for that. <laughs> <laughs> the recipe in the book that I did with raw milk, um, I'm going to say it's pretty lovely, so it's just picking myself up, but it's mainly lovely because of the raw milk. It, it's um, bay and cardamom panna cotta. Mm. They're really nice. Mm. I can believe it. Nice. Yeah, and we, and I and we say mm. these are mainly so lovely because of the raw milk. Make them with mm. raw milk because that's what's going to make that's what's going to make the difference. Absolutely. If the if the milk's right, yeah, yeah, good quality, then whatever you turn it into, yeah. should be great as well. And I yeah. used rye breadcrumbs in. Um, pear and ginger treacle tart oh, and because Drop they have so it, much Angela. density of <laughs> yeah. flavour they oh, work so well the raw milk it. shots at the launch party is really yeah. right. we have to stop or else we're never going to stop um, thank you so much guys thank and thank you. you all for uh, listening if you're still listening because it's been quite long um, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Borough Talks thanks for joining us today we'll be back with more Borough Talks soon a reminder that Borough Market is now open seven days a week. For those who can't make it down here, you can still enjoy the best of Borough at Borough Market online with nationwide delivery. You can head to our website for more information, subscribe to our newsletter. There are lots of recipes and features on the Borough Market traders.